So hi out there. Thank you for tuning in to Medicine for the Melanated and Misguided. As we promised at the end of last month's episode, you are listening to not only your co-host Jay Burns and Ray Scotty, but we have our first ever special guest. We have the honor of introducing to our Triple M family counselor and soon to be Dr. Lashandra Oram. Lashandra is a native of Birmingham, Alabama, and currently resides in Huntsville, Alabama. She has worked in the social service community for the state of Alabama for almost five years. Lashandra is also working to complete her PhD in human and social services at Walden University. Lashandra recently began her own business. So, LaShondra, tell us more about yourself. We'll get into your business later on in the session. But tell us a little about yourself, your family, things you like to do. What do you enjoy? Hello, you guys. How are you guys doing this morning? I'm doing pretty well this morning. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. First, I wanted to say um, congratulations on both of you guys creating this podcast. For us to be able to have a platform to be able to discuss mental health issues mm-hmm. and just to be able to come together to, um, you know, create ideas that's going to be more effective for people that look just like us. So I wanted to send, um, you know, my congratulations to both of you guys for creating this. I think this was a wonderful idea. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. This is our sixth episode. So we've been on for almost half a year. Wow, okay, that's wonderful. Thank you, thank you so much for inviting me to be the first, um, of, co- of course, you know, speaker on here. So I just wanted to uh, share that I have been working with the state of Alabama for almost five years now. Um, I started at Madison County Department of Human Resources in 2017 uh, with the state of Alabama, and I was then a social service caseworker. So mm-hmm. that was my first career, you know, with the big dogs, pretty much. Yes. How did you How did you enjoy that? I know some people say that can be tough or challenging work. How did you enjoy that? Well, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You have to be a little <laughs> bit crazy to work in uh, social <laughs> services. <laughs> you know, in, anything in the mental health field, number one, you got to be a little bit, you know, a risk taker, I should call it. Um, oh, when yeah. I began working at, you know, DHR, I didn't know everything that it would entail. Um, I started and I was very excited to, first of all, be working in that environment. You know, it has so much stigma attached to it that I wanted to go in firsthand and see what it was like myself. So I got in and um, at that time, I didn't know they hired, you know, not just social workers, but they also hired people who had background in sociology, psychology. Um, uh, it was uh, child, uh, child and family consumer sciences and uh, I think human uh, services as well. So it wasn't just directed towards social work. So I got in and I started then and I started training in 2017 when I first got there. And working in that field, I mean, you cannot have a part-time job 
You cannot have, uh, you know, anything you do on the side. You have to be dedicated to that type of work. And it took up more than just 8 to 4.30 Monday through Friday. I mean, there were times where you would be out in the field on a case, you know, past 5 o'clock. Um, sometimes you wouldn't even make it home to maybe 9 o'clock at night. And then you had to be on call as well at least once a month. So those were like the things that was very um I would say, you know, tedious to deal with at the time there, but the family and the friendships that I grew there were so beneficial uh, because we really, you know, protected each other at that time, came together, and we uh, grew a stable foundation for support. You know, if one person needed help with the case, we all would be there to support them. Mm -hmm. So. You know, without getting into too much detail about how some of the cases were, uh, you know, because of confidentiality, but there were some, you know, child death cases. There were various pickups, you know, that occurred during that time when I was there. Um, but I would say I maybe only had maybe about a couple children that I picked up, not that many, when I worked there, which was good. I tried to do more of reunification, keeping the families together, but in some cases that just didn't happen. So... It was pretty tough working there. I mean, you cry sometimes, you laugh sometimes, and mm-hmm. sometimes you got mad. So. <laughs> yeah, how did you how did you maintain your mental health while you were working there? Wow, I will tell you something. So, uh, believe it or not, I started working there 2017 in January, and I began. Uh, let's see, grad school started August. 2017 for me that's right yeah somewhere in the time frame I had started grad school and when I started grad school of course I went for uh, my master's in counseling concentration and vocational rehabilitation at Alabama A&M University I began grad school while working there and I didn't know honestly how I was going to make it but the time frame worked so well with my schedule with work because the classes would be from uh, maybe 6 to 9 at night, and then I will be at work from 8 to 4.30. So I did have time to make it to my classes. But like I said before, being in grad school and working there, you can absolutely, I mean, pretty much do anything else besides try to, you know, implement some self-care in. So what I would do was I had everything on a schedule. Um, You know, I made sure I communicated to my friends and my family that, you know, this job is tedious. I'm in grad school. If I don't get back to you today, if you call me or text me, I will, you know, contact you the next day. I made sure I um, unwind when I would get home and have that time to myself to take a nice hot bath um, because you're constantly driving all the time when you work that type of job. I mean, mileage was being racked up um, financially and on the car as well, you know, that I drove Mm -hmm. in. But the money was good, you know, driving, of course, getting the mileage. But, um, you know, at home I had to, you know, unwind and take those long baths. And uh, the thing about it with them is it was so flexible. If they knew you had a long night before then, you were able to come in a little bit later in the day. So you didn't have to wake up and come back to work at 8 o'clock a.m. if you was out all the way to 9 at night because that's comp time. So you could come in, you know, a little bit close to 10 or 11 o'clock or you can just request to take the day off. So that was the, you know, best part about that, working there. Yeah, that's always good to have somebody that's understanding that you work with. 
Yes, definitely. Well, we are we are so glad to have you, Lashandra. And please feel free to just jump in whenever whenever you see fit on any topic that we're talking about. Your opinion is definitely valued. Um, so for this month's topic, we want to put out a trigger warning. Although this topic is sensitive to many, it's something that we have to discuss. And as mentioned in our first session, we're on a journey to help the Black community heal. And September is Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. So just continue listening to learn some risk factors and some warning signs of suicidal behavior, how to support someone with suicidal thoughts, and recommendations for suicide loss survivors. But before we get into our topic, you know we got to do our homework check and our question of the month. So it is time for homework check. So you guys that were listening to last month's podcast, you know what that one was about, setting boundaries. So we gave you guys homework, of course. We asked for the third time this week, your coworker <laughs> waits until an hour before you guys get off to ask you to take him home after work. You have plans to meet up with your friends who you haven't seen in months for drinks 30 minutes after work. So your coworker lives 20 minutes in the opposite direction of where you're headed. How would you respond? Mm. So we're going to let our guest speaker answer this one. LaShondra, how would you respond to this coworker who asked you within an hour of getting off to take him or her home? Oh, wow. I mean, this is funny because this has happened one time before to me, like, oh my gosh, especially working, you know, there where I used to work at, at DHR, then being in grad school, mm-hmm. you're trying to get in your social, um, you know, time with your friends. I will say this part, majority of the people who I used to go do dinner with um, and things of that nature or hang out or we'll try to, you know, spend some time out after work, they all work there with me. So we were able to flex the time. So in this case scenario, uh, usually let's just say if we got off at about 4.30 or 5, it was a good day and everybody wanted to go out and get something to eat and things like that. But I had to go the opposite way. And, you know, people was like, oh, we need to be there by maybe like 7 o'clock. Um, typically, I'll just go ahead and just get them, you know, home. I'll say, come on, you know, you can ride with me. I'll take you home. And if we're just a little bit late, that's fine, especially if it's on a Friday night and we don't have to do anything that Saturday, you know, um, hey, it works that way. I would just go ahead and take them home and end up being a little bit late because I always can't say no. So. <laughs> 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 so that's typically what I would have done. Yeah. Yeah, this happens quite frequently. That's exactly why I came up with that question. <laughs> you have any response to that since we did talk about setting those boundaries? Um, I think that I can attest to that because I recently had to set my own boundaries mm-hmm. um, with a coworker. So I know what it feels like not being able to say no um, and having trouble putting in those boundaries because it, you have to see that coworker every day. And... <laughs> And then it's hard to, you start thinking like, are they mad at me? Are they going to, you know, cause trouble or make it awkward at work? 
And so it's hard, but it, it, it's necessary for your mental health. Absolutely. It, def- it definitely is. So um, one way to kind of um, answer that question is um, at that moment, I would um, probably go ahead and do it that one time. But if it becomes a habit, mm-hmm. well, not even if it becomes a habit after that one time, like on our way to me driving them home, we're going to have a discussion. Um, <laughs> hey, I had plans after this. Um, not even next time, because there likely will be no next time. Um, but can we have a discussion? Can you not wait until like the hour before to let me know? Um, that would probably be our conversation. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the best way to handle it, too. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, let's move into our um, question of the month. We did our homework. And so this is something lighthearted to, to discuss before we get into, you know, our more serious and significant topic of <clears throat> suicide prevention and awareness this month. So um, our question is, if aliens landed on Earth tomorrow... And offered to take you home with them, would you go? Hmm. <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Should I should I answer first or go ahead? <laughs> okay, well, you know, just thinking about that, listen, I probably would go with them. I've always been a risk taker. I'm an Aries, you know, birthday March 26th. Listen, I want to try something. Yeah, you know, and and somebody, them Aries, we just got to see what's going on on the other side. You know, (laughs) if you're born in March, maybe even April, sometimes you just got to go see what's on the other side. Always trying to, well, let me just see. If I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I'm a, a a scary Aries. Really, really. Yes, I am. I I have to say, um, calculated. I'm a calculated risk taker. That's what they really? call it. Oh wow. Yeah. Very calculated. I have to weigh the pros and cons. I have to see it all before I take a risk. Let me Absolutely. tell you, I'm getting up out of here. I'm fixing to go <laughs> because. It's all for selfish reasons, too. I am so overwhelmed with homework and school mm-hmm. and drowning in papers. Throw the whole program away. You want to take me to off Earth? Okay, let's go. <laughs> yes, that sounds like a plan. That's what I'm saying. Plus, I'm sick of COVID regulations here. Mm-hmm. Like, give me a minute to breathe somewhere else where none of this is going on. Absolutely. Right. And it's free. Let's go. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> So, so we have it. I'm gonna be the only one who stays on Earth. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> we got your number, Burns. We'll see your text message. Right? Yeah, just, just send me some pictures, and I'll enjoy <laughs> it for you guys. I would go if I could take like a few family and friends. Then I would go, but I can't go by myself. Of course, of course. Well, right. we'll send you up once we see what it looked like once we get up there. <laughs> all right so into our topic september is suicide awareness and prevention month 
So we are going to get into the topic and we want to first um, give you guys the definition of what suicide is because it can be um, very confusing. So suicide, according to the CDC, is death caused by injuring oneself with the intent to die. So this does not include accidental death, such as accidental overdose or accidental car crashes. So a suicide attempt is when someone harms themselves with an intent to end their life, but they do not die as a result of their actions. So why are we discussing suicide on a Black mental health podcast? That's a great question. So consistent with the CDC, 56% of individuals who committed suicide in 2019 were Black. As mentioned in one of our social media posts, the largest age group of Black individuals who commit suicide are young adults between the ages of 25 to 34. It is also important to mention two things. Suicide in Black individuals ages 5 to 14 are steadily growing, and the rate amongst Black men are twice as high that in Black women. Yeah, and I have um, something to input about all um, three of those facts. Um, Very recently, over the last year, I have been very saddened to actually see at least two confirmed um, suicide on my Facebook account. So with some of my Facebook um, friends and family members, some of their friends and family members, and I want to send my love out to each one of them um, who experienced that, to those lost survivors of those individuals and each of those individuals were under the age of 34 so they were between the age of 25 and 34 Mm. and another thing that um i recently saw speaking on the um, 5 to 14 of um that age steadily growing is a connection with bullying and children experiencing um, bullying and as a result, committing suicide. Hmm. So um, very recently um, in Birmingham, there was an incident of a mother being arrested because um, she went on the school bus, uh, middle school age children Uh and she got to fighting with one of the kids for allegedly for bullying um, one of her children. And that has been one of the biggest things that I have noticed um, as far as that age range is the suicide associated with bullying. Wow. And I have an article um, that we're going to talk about later that kind of addresses that age range as well. But that's a great point for bullying. Yeah, and as far as um, black men, I was recently watching um, Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, and um, the I think it was the last episode or two episodes ago, maybe. Um, Little Scrappy he posted 
on social media um, basically that he was having suicidal thoughts and as for him, he said those thoughts were um, in connection with feeling like he had to live up to a certain standard being a man mm. and not feeling like he can express his feelings or when he's feeling down, not having anyone to talk to because he had to put up a front because of the role that is expected from him, especially as a Black man. And we talked about this, I think, in one of the past podcasts about um, uh, the role that Black men are given and they're expected to be strong and not say anything about their feelings. They're expected as children, we tell them, especially the young boys, not to cry, they're looking like a punk, those type of things. And we discussed that in a past podcast. But that's something to think about um, when we have these conversations, even with our young children, and making them feel comfortable coming and talking to us um, as not even uh, mothers, but as family members, making sure that it is okay for our young boys to come and talk to us. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get into some risk factors and warning signs of suicidal behavior. So it's important that we talk about the risk factors and warning signs of suicidal behavior. So the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, it mentions three primary areas that can increase the chance that an individual may attempt to take their life. So the first reason that we have here is consistent with their health. Um, That can be mental health conditions such as depression or substance use, conduct disorders, serious mental health conditions, um, especially those that include pain, chronic pain, and traumatic brain injury. So as far as the environment, that is the second area individuals that have access to lethal means such as firearms such as medications um individuals experiencing stressful events for instance like i mentioned the bullying but for adults it can be relationship problems it can be they recently lost their job it could be even the loss of a friend or family member as well Right. And the exposure to another person's suicide very um highly increases their risk. Yes. Um, and so there's also a historical aspect to it as well. So previous attempts, so if someone has, has attempted to commit suicide before, they're more susceptible to completing um family history of suicide and childhood abuse, neglect, and trauma all are risk factors for suicidal behavior. So, LaShondra, has any of those, um, would you say that any of those areas are um, more important or increase the risk for suicide more so than another area? Uh, Yes, I would agree um, that more so environmental is the biggest thing for me because just thinking back on just, you know, um, 
growing up myself, previous experience uh, with different situations, and then also clients that I have had before and seeing children at the schools and they expressing their issues as well, and even clients that I have now um, who are disabled, a lot of it comes from the environment. If the environment around you is not supportive, it's going to heighten the risk of suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, different um, ideations of what you may uh, – want to do or how you would be able to uh, cope with those feelings. If you have that support around you, nine times out of 10, those thoughts are not going to harbor as far as someone who is living in an environment where their parents may be both on drugs or uh, there may be domestic violence occurring in the home. Um, It's just going to not harbor that far up. Now, in even with a supportive environment, I've seen that before too. You know, sometimes that comes more so from a genetic issue. And of Mm -hmm. course, you know, I'm not a doctor, um, you know, in that area, but I've seen more so when some children or, um, you know, teenagers have that support that's just there for them. They're loving them. They're trying to give them all the help they can get. It comes from a genetic factor. Um, Some of those kids I have seen may have been adopted and they don't know that they were adopted, and then the parents will talk about, you know, hey, this is how I got them. They were born, um, and at like two, three years old, I started exhibiting and seeing um, signs of, uh, you know, behavior issues with them, and then all of a sudden, they talk about, you know, they want to harm themselves. So I've seen it in different areas, but most of the time, I would say if that environment, they're supportive for that person, they're going to be more willing to help themselves and see that, you know what, I do have people around me that care about me and love me, so I'm going to take the help that I'm going to get this time and try to work on what's there for me um, to make me a better person. And, you know, hopefully they don't have plans, but a lot of them have plans written out how to implement um, the suicidal, uh, you know, actions or, you know, things they want to take forth. So when you see someone have a plan there, um, you have to definitely act on it, even if you think they're not serious about it, because you just never know. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that brings up a good point. Um, whenever you're with someone and you don't really know if they're um, giving you warning signs or they have suicidal behavior, you can always listen to what they say when you're having conversations with them. So um, some may talk directly about killing themselves, but others mention having no reason to live, Uh feeling like a burden to others, and an unexplainable, unbearable pain. Um, So you can hear in their conversation with you subtle reasons um, or insinuations that they don't want to be here, and that is kind of um, alluding to suicidal ideations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's right. And I want exactly. to point out, um, if I could add, that mm-hmm. now um, there are so many different types of uh, apps and different online sites that are helpful for people in those crisis situations like that. And, um, of course, you know, you have the uh, suicide hotline and the crisis prevention hotline that you mm-hmm. can call and get that help from. But I wanted to add that there is a new um uh, you know, company as well called Happy, and I'm sure you guys have heard of Happy, maybe. 
they are willing to also speak to those individuals who are facing a crisis. And um, shout out to Kristen uh, Toast. This is not sponsored at all by Happy, but <laughs> I have partnered with them and uh, to uh, pretty much provide services like that as well. You pretty much will uh, be able to just sit and be able to listen to those individuals who um, may be facing a hard time and they can call in and just express all their feelings to you. It's not more so targeted as therapy or counseling. It's more so just you giving um, that listening ear and reassuring them that they are worthy and that they are here for a purpose and, you know, giving them that platform to listen. Because a lot of times with the crisis prevention line and suicide hotline, they want to know right now, are you going to kill yourself in this very moment? Do you have a plan? Um, you know, what's going on? Are you okay right now? And some of them may say, well, no, I'm not thinking about it right now, but I may later on. And then they're like, okay, well, if you're not right now, okay, hope everything gets better. And then they're kind of like getting to the next person. So a lot of the time their hotlines are a little bit more fast paced. Um, but with Happy, um, I have learned that, you know, they have the allotted time to be able to sit in that space with that individual mm-hmm. and let them share all their um, desires wants and needs and be able to just get everything off their chest so i think that um that is a good site to you know look into as well yes yeah thank you for sharing that i had not heard of that resource but thank you so much for sharing that one no problem thank you so along with the speech or not even the talk because some of those talks can be um social media posts as well mm-hmm. along with that is behavior you may notice that that individual is withdrawing from activities they're visiting or calling friends and family members to say goodbyes such as um we've had a great time together you'll notice that um the top portion they start speaking in um past tense when they're calling to say those goodbyes um, you'll notice sometimes that that individual is giving away some sentimental possessions, so like cleaning out their house, taking pictures and things off the wall, that mm-hmm. type of thing. So these behaviors are especially troubling if uh, one of those recent risk factors, such as they lost a loved one or experienced a divorce. In combination with that risk factor, that behavior is especially troubling. Right. Yes. So another um, thing to be aware of is, is someone's mood. So along with depression and loss of interest, you may notice shame, anger, and um, closer to the planned suicide, a sudden improvement in mood. Kind of like they're preparing or more excited because they're no longer going to have to deal with whatever they're going through. If they, if they're experiencing depression or anxiety, they see it as a way out. Um, And so just to add to that, I actually watched the movie that just came out last night. It's called Dear Evan Hansen. And it, the main character displayed all of these things. He displayed shame for his behavior. He had severe anxiety and depression. Um, His dad had left him. I want to say at the age of seven, his parents got a divorce his mom was no nowhere to be found. So he was dealing with all of these things alone. He couldn't even speak a sentence without um, shaking or just internalizing 
um, feeling that he wasn't good enough or people hated him. So he got angry with himself. He didn't feel good enough. And so if you watched him, you could listen and see some of his, his mood, um, the behavior and some of the conversation in which he was alluding to committing suicide. So it can be very prominent if you are um, knowing what to look for. And um, speaking of movies, I was watching, I can't even remember the name of the movie. It's something about um, a free day at the zoo or something along those lines. But I found it um, on YouTube on my random searches. Um, but it was a guy who had like an exotic personal pet zoo in mm. his backyard. Um, he had over like 60 animals. It was a mi- it was a mixture of tigers, lions, bears. He had um some orangutans. But it was just a mixture of um wild animals that he had. Mm-hmm. And um he got in trouble for not taking care of them. But um he was sent to jail for about 10 months and when he got out of jail, his wife, she had been so stressed with taking care of the animals while he was in jail. His wife um, was like, I'm out. I need a divorce from you. And they had been together for 30 plus years. Um, so he became very depressed after that. And his friends noticed um, that depression. But they said like six or so months after um, they noticed like the depression just seemed to go out um, and his mood lifted. So they thought he was back to his normal self. And a, a few um, weeks after they noticed his mood had lifted, um, he actually committed suicide um, by letting the animals out and they attacked him. So that was one of the things that um, very much you should be aware of is that person's mood lifting suddenly and they haven't um, done anything different. Like they haven't went to counseling. They haven't even seen a doctor. They're not taking any medication. They're not getting any help and their mood lifts out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Nothing besides um, that has changed, but you see their mood changing. So definitely that's something to be aware of. Yes. Wow. I thank you guys for sharing that because I don't think I ever um really noticed that, you know, with um people who uh, you know, talked about suicide or had suicidal thoughts. That's one thing new to me. I don't think I ever noticed that part. Thank God majority of them um were able to get counsel in it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure that helped, but just that's a good thing too uh because I never noticed that before and I'm very um you know in the spiritual aspect aspect usually when I see people doing better I usually just say okay prayer praying and they've been getting themselves together but honestly on that other end that is something to look for like you said because if nothing has changed with them we need to be evaluating what are you doing differently and why are you so now in a better state of mind or what are you mm-hmm. thinking about, you know? So that's really good. I'm glad you guys shared that. So we're going to how to support someone with suicidal thoughts 
and Raven and Lashandra have shared um, some ways to support someone. So now that you guys are better equipped to recognize someone who has suicidal ideations, here's how to support someone with suicidal thoughts. So the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline has action steps that are helpful. So give us the first one, Raven. So our first one is going to be to just ask whoever you are with if they are thinking about suicide, how do you hurt, how can I help. Um, do not ever promise to keep their thoughts of suicide a secret. Um, and so that kind of relates to a lot of times people think that bringing the topic of suicide up around someone that you feel is suicidal or are having suicidal ideations is going to increase their chance of committing suicide, but that's really not the case. It actually helps to prevent it because they then have someone to talk to. They feel, feel seen. They see that someone is noticing them um, and noticing their pain. And so that provides them with an opportunity to share. So we don't want to um, refrain from engaging that person and bringing up the topic of suicide. It's always helpful to ask, how are they feeling? Are you feeling suicidal? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? Yeah, that's very important um, to ask because a lot of individuals who are um, having those suicidal thoughts or who are making the plans um, for suicide, they're feeling alone and mm -hmm. like no one cares, like they're not important to people. Um, we've heard, I'm sure, some people um, say, you know, no one's going to miss me. If I'm gone, nobody's going to care. Everybody's going on about their life. No one has checked in on me. And mm -hmm. that's one of the recent, very recent posts that I've seen a lot is the no one um, checks in on me or um, nobody cares about how I'm doing because they think I'm doing so well. I've seen that a lot on social media. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the next step after you ask the person um, is to be there. So the best option is to be physically present. Get out of your house, get out of your bed, go visit that person. That's the best option. But if you're unable to physically be present, speaking with them over the phone and or connecting them with someone who can physically be there is the best, the next best option. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. And so if you do have the opportunity to physically be present with them, you always want to just keep them safe. Um, but keeping your own safety in your frame of mind. So you want to remove any potential methods of suicide, such as medications, um, knives, guns, anything that can be lethal. Um, and if the threat to death is imminent, then you always, always, always call for, um, immediate or emergency assistance. Yeah. And that's something that even as, um, counselors and therapists that we are, that's something that we have to do as well. Like if the, um, threat to death is imminent, like you said, always get um, emergency services involved. 
Mm-hmm. That's important that you don't keep um, this incident to yourself because they can most likely get this person the help that they need. Lastly, the fifth way is to follow up or check in on that individual. So just leave them a message or send them a text, give them a call, ask them if they would like to go out to dinner or if you can come over, if they want to come to your place. Um, thoughts do not just go away because a person has sought professional help. Your support may mean a lot more than you think. So you have to continue that journey. If that's someone that you truly care about, you want to just check in on them periodically, even though some days they might say, I'm okay, or I'm fine, or I'm tired of you asking, that um, repetition kind of lets them know that you're there and you want them to be okay and that you're going to continue to check on them to make sure that they get the help that they need. Yes. Yeah, and it's important to know that for some people, the thoughts do um, subside. For some people, the thoughts are just um, in that time period. But for other people, um, they can live their life. Unfortunately, if they don't receive treatment, they can live their lives with those thoughts continuously. So... Right. Just ensuring that you, like Raven said, check in with them, making sure, like if they tell you, um, hey, I got an appointment um, with the therapist or with the counselor, then, you know, the next day or later on that day that they're supposed to have that appointment, just, hey, did you make it to the appointment? That can be helpful in itself. Mm-hmm. Giving them some not only support, but some accountability as well. Yes. So here's some recommendations for suicide loss survivors. So suicide loss survivors are those individuals whose family or friends have committed suicide and they are um, here on this earth with us when their family members are not. So I gave Um, I love and support to them earlier in the podcast, but we want to give you guys some recommendations for these individuals because they are are on our um, hearts as well. Mm -hmm. So the grieving process for survivors of suicide loss, they go through the same five stages of grief as others who have lost a loved one to natural causes, for example. So they experience denial, anger, that bargaining, depression, and eventually, with the right um, support, acceptance. So let us know if you all would like to discuss those more in detail in another session, and we'll talk about the process of grief in another session. Right. So... um... It can be helpful if you find support, whether it's a support group or you rely on your friends and family. Just do what feels right for you. You can speak on your own loss when you're comfortable. You can write down your feelings. You can journal about it. Um, So it's important just to be able to make it through, like Byrne said, those five stages of grief um, and, and understanding that grief is not linear. So you can go through any one of those stages more than once and in any order. So your grief, your grief may not look like someone else's. Someone else may move past their grief and, and reach the acceptance stage 
at six months and you are still a year in and still experiencing anger and understanding that that is okay because grief is individualized and it's personal to you. So you can't move at the same pace as someone else. Right. That's right. So this brings us to our research article of the month. And um, this is a very interesting article. It's called, We Have Closed Our Eyes and Sealed Our Lips, Black Women's Accounts of Discussing Suicide Within the Black Community. And so I'm just going to give you guys a, a few of the uh, main points from the article and get you guys' thoughts. So suicide rates among African Americans have risen over the last few decades. Prevention scholars unanimously agree that the most powerful tool that we have for suicide prevention is initiating a conversation with the suicidal individual, which goes back to just asking them, are they having suicidal ideations? Are they hurting? Do, are they thinking about hurting themselves? Um, current estimates suggest that we lose one African-American to suicide every 6.6 hours per day in the United States. Oh, wow. Right. As of 2015, suicide rates among black children ages 5 to 11, that age group that we mentioned previously, surpassed those of white children for the first time in history in 2015. Suicide is now the third leading cause of death among African-Americans between the ages of 15 to 24 and black men between the ages of 25 to 34. So just to kind of go back over some of those risk factors, there's some additional ones in here. And they include social isolation coupled with disproportionate amounts of unemployment and drugs in the black community. Um, black women are more susceptible to psychological distress due to the fact that they disproportionately face poverty, unemployment, racism, and poor physical health. Other risk factors include victims of childhood sexual abuse, psychiatric disorders such as anxiety, comorbid psychiatric disorders, um, particularly Black teen girls between the ages of 13 to 17 are more risk for self-harm. Um, in addition, black men between the ages of 20 and 34 are more inclined to self-harm as well. And some of those risk factors for those groups include unemployment, underemployment, fewer opportunities for social advancement, increased exposure to violence as explanations um, for the rise in suicide among black men. Um, also, just to wrap it up, other things include lacking adequate support systems for those who are divorced or widowed and those residing in the South. I thought this was interesting or the Northeast region of the United States appeared to have increased risk factors for suicide. Mm. What are you guys' thoughts on the South and the Northeast having increased um, risk factors for black people? I'm thinking um, that's where a majority of um, African Americans live in the U.S. is the South. Um, so that may be one of the issues, but I know a lot of the issues are our interaction with um, white Americans sometimes. So we've talked about in past podcasts um, how that can affect us. Um, but I think that was one of the biggest things that I've noticed um, in our black men is they have to face so much. Yeah. So not only are they dealing with that role, like I um, spoke on with Lil Scrappy and him mentioning the um, high expectations 
that the black men have to um, go through. But then once they get outside of the home, then they're not viewed as um, important sometimes. They're not viewed as, as manly as some of those white men. They get looked over for promotions. Like you said, they're um, overworked and underpaid. Mm-hmm. So those black men, they go through so much. And that's why it's important, um, not only as black women, that we uh, make them feel comfortable, like they can talk to us, but we let them know that it is okay that they see um, someone for their mental health and that that stigma is not attached to seeing someone. And that is um, something that we have to do. And I'm just going to shout out my dad really quickly um, because when we released the first podcast, he sent me a message um, because he did listen. Um, So shout out to him for listening. But he sent me a long message about... um, the black community and black men and talking about our mental health. So that is something that um, we definitely have to continue to work on. Yes. Mm -hmm. I will agree with you that that's the biggest thing with, um, you know, African-American males is trying to be able to um, introduce or uh, bring them into the light of that receiving mental um, health uh, help at this time is not, you know, uh, it's not an issue or not something they should be afraid of. You know, mm-hmm. most women are going to be going to be pretty much, uh, you know, agreeing to the ideal or, you know, because for us, we're like, yes, you know, we need all the help we can get. You know, if you're a full-time worker, full-time mother, um, you know, in school or things of that nature or doing all of it at one time, you know, women are more uh, subject to receive all the help they can get. But like you said before, men are like, well, no, they say I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to cry. I'm not supposed to show these feelings. But that's a safe space for them is to be able to connect with that therapist or that counselor or a person that they go to and just be there one-on-one with them and be able to share those feelings and confidentiality without mm-hmm. anyone else knowing what's going on with them. So I highly recommend and I always advocate um, to the men that I know, like you said, as far as with your dad reaching out to you, and I'm sure he was very appreciative of this, um, you know, first podcast to be able to kind of enlighten him on, you know, what's really going on with our males here. Um, down south especially and and I'm just trying to figure out because I different here from uh, up north a lot of their ties into it as well um, I don't know what it is but it's something different the reason why uh, down south there are more of course you know suicidal rates and things of that nature and hopefully we're able to get to the bottom of it yes yeah hopefully we are and um watching another show um so i was watching um married to medicine this last recent season and um they were just talking about how um they feel as far as this was from their recording was from last year so very prominent in the um black lives matter movement 
So um, they were talking about their interactions with um, cops. So that's one of the things and one of the feelings as well. Um, They pointed out a good thing about our generation, this um, younger generation now that's being, that's interacting uh, with officials and being out there in the movement is that we um, do more so now stick up for ourselves. So that's one of the issues as well. You will notice that some of the strongest people, those people who are in the forefront of the movement, and I notice this a lot with some of the individuals um, who have been in the forefront of Birmingham's movement, a lot of these individuals um, outside of the movement, they feel stressed because they feel like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders because um, it took us many years, centuries um, to get where we are today. And we at this age are just not putting up with um, people telling us no or not wanting to um, fix issues. So that's Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things with um, our generation and why the suicide rate um, may be so high is that we have a lot of expectations um, for ourselves, for the um, world, our state, country, city, all of that in general. And we want it done like now. And Mm -hmm. these things take time. So that's one of um, the biggest things that I think may be the issue with our um, age range. So our current event of the month, LaShondra, do you have that for us? Uh, Yes. So uh, some things I had looked into um, as far as like current events of the month um, going on right now, especially in the mental health field Mm -hmm. um, or Mm -hmm. issues that have been occurring. I kind of just took a couple of articles and just kind of compiled together what I've seen recently over the past um, year, but still is an issue now still. Um, mm-hmm. I looked into now, and this ties into it really good with suicidal rates and everything. The college students um, at the dorm rooms, at school, now integrating back into the classrooms. You know, how are they doing at this time, right? So at this time, it appears that a lot of um, the integrate back into the classroom setting has been very difficult for them. Um, according to some of the articles that I looked into, a lot of them are still in the mindset of, you know, being isolated, which can cause mm-hmm. depression, anxiety, um, and then also, you know, their social is not the same. You know, I remember when I'm sure all of us was on campus, you mm-hmm. know, freshman year, especially it's the biggest time for you. That's when you mingle, you get to uh, interact with other people, network, and, you know, learn from uh, you learn other people from other states and different parts of the world, but they mm-hmm. a lot of them have not had that experience yet. So a lot of them are feeling like college is not for me. I've heard a couple of them say that. Um, even my sister, she is now a freshman at Alabama A&M University, and she's looking for the excitement still because she's like, is this how college is supposed to be? Because I mean, is it or just is it COVID? You know, and I had to explain to her that no, this is just really because of COVID. 
So a lot mm-hmm. of that has really dampered the mood of those students because this is not what they uh, is thought this would be for them being there. But they have to be, of course, you know, cautious and protect themselves. So, you know, at this time, um, you know, it's it's really a big issue for them. And we want to make sure we check on those students as well in those dorm rooms because, you know, they isolate themselves like that in the room or having those thoughts can lead to suicidal um, concerns. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm glad you um, brought that up as far as COVID that has played a um, huge role in the rate of depression and like you said anxiety as well because a lot of people are feeling or have been feeling um, isolated for over this past year um, because a lot of people want to be cautious but that's one of the things unfortunately for me that I have um been very careful about is isolating myself um and i said unfortunately only because i um previously had COVID, but um i have made it a point not to um isolate myself to be around um family and friends that um support me and that's one of the biggest things i think that's almost a key word of this podcast is support yeah no, I definitely agree, too, with you guys. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and jump into our takeaways and homework. Um, factors that increase an individual's likeliness for suicide are their health, environment, and history. Also, be mindful of the individual's talk, behavior, and mood. If you suspect someone may be suicidal, you can support them by asking, being there, keeping them safe, helping them to connect, and following up. So for our suicide loss survivors, we find um, that support. Uh, well, I'll, I'll go first. So without giving a name, um, there is someone here um, that uh, lives, of course, here in Huntsville with me. And um, I grew up with her. We went to elementary school together. So she is my um, my other best friend as well as I have one um, in Birmingham that's another best friend. And um, I talk to her quite often, though. So, but the one that's here, uh, we haven't talked maybe since, like, well, we talked, you know, of course, here and there, but we haven't seen each other since her birthday um, in April. Um, and we know we both have busy lives, and uh, she's in grad school as well. She know that I'm working, and, of course, the business and things like that. But I think I'm going to give her a call and, you know, kind of just um, – you know, check on her and then see if we can catch up and maybe go uh, grab some lunch or some dinner and things like that because I think she's really going to enjoy that uh, just so we can fill each other in on what's been going on new. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to reach out to her soon. Okay, okay. Sounds like a great plan. Let's see. Um, I'm going to honestly have to think about this one. <laughs> and and get back with you, because I I don't know I don't know how to how to answer that question. That's a good question. I would say um, for me, I have a wonderful friend who lives in Tennessee, and she is 
so great. I'm gonna give her an extra special shout out because um last week or the week before, she randomly like cash at me. And I was inclined to send it back. And I told her, like, girl, you know I want to send this back, but she told me not to. She was just thinking about me. And um, that's something that I definitely um, want to do is spend some time with her. Because she lives up there and the majority of um, her family and friends live here um, in Alabama. So we are going to see each other in a few weeks when we go to Miami. But I want to spend some alone time with her. Yeah. Our next session section is our recommendation of a local black therapist or counselor. So our local black therapist or counselor of the month is our own special guest that you guys have been hearing from. So Lysandra, tell us more about your business. All right. So I am excited, you guys, to tell you about my business because I think this is going to benefit um, not only um, the people that's listening, but, of course, you two as well working in the um, mental health field and counseling. So long story short, I'm going to try to make it real, real short. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When COVID had first hit, this was like back in 2000 and... um, Gosh, well, like something like 2019, the beginning of then, we were all, um, you know, sent to just work from home then. And Jasmine, you probably remember that. I'm sure you guys were working from home um, with uh, Alabama Department of Rehab Services, Vocational Rehab. We were told we need to just work from home for a good Yes, it was a very stressful time during that time because we were in IEP season. Oh, my God, yes. So during that time we were working from home, I actually became quite bored, just being honest, because I had finished up, um, you know, grad school, so I wasn't in grad school anymore. And then um, I I think I may have just started um PhD program, or I may have been thinking about it, something of that nature, but I absolutely wasn't doing nothing but just working my full-time eight to four thirty and then when that happened and I went home I was like, Oh my God, this is so really loving being at home. I was walking more, of course I loved it. But I became quite bored and sitting in the house, you know, like that also um gave me a little bit of anxiety kind of, you know, I was like not used to just sitting down for a long period of time not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And this went on for a month. So long story short, a friend reached out to me and was like, Hey um, you want to go do this job really quick, make some extra money? And I was like, that sounds too easy. I was like, okay. So I ended up learning about this company um, that I worked with during that time while I was actually working from home to make a little bit of extra money and uh, to get me out. And um, what that company was is pretty much uh, was contracted with uh, all of the uh, Department of Human Resources in Alabama. Uh, she has a big company, so she uh, she pretty much contracted with them, and she would provide services like center service, transportation, behavior intervention, counseling, and things like that, because that's what 
uh, DHR needs and able to uh, reunify their families back together. So they reach out to those people, which they call them providers, just like how we call out at um, uh, vocational rehab, the CRPs. That's mm-hmm. almost like how Madison County, DHR, Jefferson County, all of those, they call their provider of services. So if you kind of following me, that's how uh, they call theirs. So with that being said, I learned how to do all the paperwork, things like that, what she was doing. And um, I said, okay, this is, you know, good money. You know, she was paying and so this is good. Okay, I got a master's and um, you mean to tell me I'm able to provide these services to them in therapy, uh, mastered and uh, unlicensed? And that's what it said on the paper. And she said, yes, correct. You know, that's what they allow you to do if you're working under them contracted like that you can do therapy unlicensed um they'll look at your transcript and um they'll get you certified and approved to do those services so long story short with me learning all that from that company i decided to open my own business uh and that happened in march of this year but i had already learned from her how to do that two years so i had two years with that company and decided that by me doing it so well that it, it was pretty much time to branch off and do that on my own to know that if entrepreneurship was going to be good for me once I, um, you know, decided if I ever wanted to, you know, uh, get my LPC and, you know, uh, get my CRC, things of that nature, then, you know, I started working on it, got the business going, got everything set up the way she did, but only with one um, one department. I didn't do as many as she had. She had, you know, all different ones over set out of them. She had Jefferson. Uh, you know, Anderson, um, you know, every one of them, but I only did one of them just here, which I already knew them because I was familiar with them because I, you know, pretty much worked there. So they allowed me to um, begin to provide services to those clients, and that's how you're able to do that if you do not have your license. So that's how you're able to provide services, so it's only through them. And I've been enjoying it so far. Uh, it's been really good for me. Especially, it's a lead way to you are studying to get your LPC. You're studying to get your CRC. It gives you time to study and do those things while you're actually learning what it is to be out there um, providing services to others. So, that is my business, A Voice for the Voiceless LLC, and you can find me also on Facebook, Instagram. And I'm also in the process of rebranding right now, so I'm getting everything rebranded. But um, pretty much my platform is on Facebook, A Voice for the Voiceless LLC. I am so glad you shared that, and the services sound wonderful. Yes. It was it's something that I did not know about. I know a lot um, of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah, I I do not I did not know that because, um, like you shared, both of us work in vocational um rehabilitation, and my thought has been that um I would have to get my LPC in order to do that. That's right. So it's it's great to know. Um, especially since I do have my um CRC. CRC so yes. that's great to know. Yeah, so it's a definitely a benefit for you because you have your CRC, so you do have some type of certification or uh, if they would call it certification or license. Me, I don't have my CRC yet, but I am working on that. So 
so what I had to do was when I filed to get, you know, your business license in the city, in the county where you reside in, mm-hmm. they call me a provider of service. I'm not in the same category as private practice. So that's why I just can't take any um any person that wants counseling. It has to just come through the agency. But it like you, someone like you, because you have that certification, you can be labeled under the private practice area when you go register to get your license. So, yeah, I had to learn all that through research. That is awesome to know. That's one of the things that we um want to do with this podcast as well. Not only um inform individuals in our community about um mental health, but we want to give you guys a leg up because we were born in a society where we are not given that advantage, unfortunately. But we want to do anything that we can to give you guys a leg up. So thank you so much for sharing that information. Yes. No problem. Thank you. So it's that time again. If this was the late 90s or the early 2000s and we were on Disney's Out of the Box, we'd be singing the goodbye song. But since it's 2021 and we are grown people, unfortunately, paying our own bills, (laughs) no longer in the box. (laughs) And this is Medicine for the Melanated and Misguided. We'd like to say to you guys that we are so honored and excited that you decided to tune in to our sixth session. So our podcast is only once a month. So we share a lot of information in each session. Most of our sessions are about an hour. So if you made it this far, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So subscribe. And tell a friend about the podcast. So we can't wait for you to tune in to next month's episode. Don't forget to, to don't forget to follow Medicine for the Melanated and Misguided on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we post weekly positive quotes and stats on mental health, along with reminders about each episode. So until so next until time. Until next time.